This is Monocle on Design, a show where we unpack everything from architecture and craft to furniture and fashion. I'm Nick Manise. On today's show, we learn about an exhibition celebrating architectural gems in Sao Paulo and pull up a chair with Denmark's Please Wait to be Seated, whose latest perch is made from flax, plus a collaboration from turntable titans Lynn and product designer Johnny Ive. All that coming up on Monocle on Design. We start today's show in Brazil, where Alberto is now open for its second edition. It's a platform that presents art in striking architectural spaces. Its first outing took place in Sao Paulo's only remaining house by Brazilian modernist legend Oscar Niemeyer, a building that had previously been closed to the public. Its sophomore outing is continuing this tradition by taking place in a private residence designed by Brazilian modernist architect Villanova Artigas. Monocle's senior correspondent, Fernando Augusto Pacheco, caught up with art advisor and founder of the Alberto platform, Felipe Assis, to find out what we can expect this year. But first, Felipe began by explaining the importance of using unique spaces for an exhibition. Alberto is uh, an itinerant platform that unites architecture, design and also art. I held the first exhibition last year, during November, in the only remaining house designed by Nehemiah in the city of Sao Paulo. And I decided to do that because I, I started feeling that all these modernist houses uh, in Sao Paulo, they were being torn down to build new developments. And I wanted to somehow draw attention to them to try to rescue this Brazilian architectural legacy. It's interesting you mentioned this modernist house because I think even people outside Brazil know about our, our beautiful architecture. But many of those houses, they are close to the public, right? I believe the Nehemiah one and the new one perhaps that you're going to talk a bit more. So I think this is a way not only to see art, but also to visit those beautiful houses that people couldn't actually have access to. Exactly. I think, And I think also, Alberto, it's about this, this opening spaces that usually are closed for the general public to give them a, an opportunity to see them. The Nehemiah house, it had a few events before about one, but very tiny ones. And this house signed by Archigas that I'm going to, to do the second exhibition, it was never ever shown to the public and, it, and it's been here since 1978. And it's also a, a, an Artigas masterpiece. And one thing I'm very curious about, because from what you told me, Artigas, he's actually from the city of Sao Paulo, unlike Nehemiah. Is there a difference, perhaps, I know they're both modernists, but is there a difference between the school of architecture of Rio and Sao Paulo when it comes to modernism? Yes, actually, the, the school of, of Rio de Janeiro, which Nehemiah is part, is part and I think the most important and well-known architecture of, is very influenced by the Bellas Artes, the school. So their forms are more organic. It's more about sculpture than architecture. Instead, the Paulista uh, school, which is the, the school of architecture of Sao Paulo, is more brutalist because it was very influenced by the engineering schools here. So the angles are, are more straight, 
compared to Niemeyer, when you see Brasilia, all those museums or the, the Congress, they are sculptures, but uh, here it's uh, in Sao Paulo, they, they, they are very brutalist. Uh, Felipe, what type of art will people be able to see it actually when they come and visit uh, Abert, which I believe is the second edition? The curatorship signed by, by me, Claudia Moreira Salles, who is a designer, and Kiki Mazzucchelli, who is a professional curator, we focused on two versions. The first one, uh, we commissioned over uh, 20 artists to, for the exhibition coming from different galleries like Nara Heusler, Mendes Wood, Fortes, Daloia, Luis Vestrina and many others. One artist, uh, Mauro Recife, took the, the photographs of the house. And the other burden was to bring works of art that we wanted people to, to leave their homes to come and see. So masterpieces, for example, the largest trepanche or the largest uh, sculpture produced by Lija Clark ever. So here in this house, so it was our reasoning to put up the, the, the selection of works. Well, incredible artists. And, and tell me more about you, because I know, funnily enough, you're, you're also based in London, but you're spending quite a long, long time in Brazil, right? I, I am, yes, yes, yes. Actually, I moved to London back in, in January of 2019. And then I stayed there the whole quarantine, the whole COVID, the whole pandemic. So then, uh, but last year I was during my holidays in August and uh, a dear friend of mine called me, hey, there's this Niemeyer house that you could do your first edition. And then I said, what, a Niemeyer house in Sao Paulo? I've never heard about it. And then she sent me the photographs. I talked with the foundation and then I fell in love promptly with the house. And I came here and stayed almost six months to organize and, and also during the exhibition. And this year was the same, the very same thing. So, so I came in March for the São Paulo Art Fair, and then I never came back to London. But I'm coming on the second of October. I hope to be at home longer this time. Well, until Alberto Three comes comes out, right? I don't know. Uh, is is there a plan to continue in São Paulo, or, or you're planning perhaps other cities as well? Next year, I have two or three places that I'm planning to do. One, it's here in Sao Paulo, the other one in London, the other one in Milan. Let's hope that the, the dates are available for, for what I want. And for now, if someone is visiting Sao Paulo, or perhaps for the locals as well, you can schedule in and, and get a ticket for a visit during this month, right? Yes, people can go to the website, which is aberto.art, and, and book their tickets there. And finally, uh, Felipe, what's your favorite feature of the house? I haven't been yet to the house. Hopefully I'll be able to go. But I love the, the swimming pool area. It's quite, as you say, it's quite brutalist. But then there's this kind of swimming pool in the middle of it. I don't know. There's something quite magical about it for me. Uh, do you have any favorite? The swimming pool is really great. But my favorite are the, are the bedrooms. Because all of the bedrooms, they divide them. Uh, Artigas divided them with wardrobes and each has a different color on the bathrooms so he uses epoxy paint so for instance the master 
bedroom he he used yellow and then a, a darker yellow then the other ones pink with blue and the other one orange with green so i think they're quite interesting and also their corridors he abuses on colors so one wall is yellow the other one is, is green again so i think they are my favorite area at all Felipe asks us there in conversation with Monocle's senior correspondent, Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Alberto is open in Sao Paulo until the 17th of September 2023. Please Wait to Be Seated is a Danish furniture firm with strong sustainability credentials. Case in point is its new Flax Stacker. It's a chair which has a completely biodegradable seat and backrest made from a composite of natural flax fibre and PLA resin. These components are attached to a steel frame with rivets, allowing them to be separated from the frame and replaced in case of damage. The result is a chair which celebrates flax as a material and is imbued with good design qualities. It's lightweight, stackable, durable and suitable for commercial and residential use. For more on seating, materials and the flax stacker, I spoke to Please Wait to be Seated's creative director, Thomas Ibsen, and the chair's designer, Boris Berlin, who we hear from first. Many products that you have, they are designed to be a solitary piece, a piece with its own character. So it is a sculpture which is in itself. That's it. But we are now talking about stacking chair. And stacking chair, it is not a loner. So it is just a part of the big group. And in the big group, each of them has to be modest. It doesn't have to scream. It is not a piece that you put on the stairs and to, to show your guests. Its sculpture is when it is in the stack. I want to ask Thomas, how does this speak to please wait to be seated values? How is this partnership between you and Boris beneficial for what you're trying to do as a brand? We as a brand, we have a philosophy, you could say, that is written down uh, back when, when I basically started the company. We need to design something that can both work in what we call the contract market, that means for business to business, but also the same product needs to be used by private people. We are very much driven by the visual part of a design. Geometric shapes that come together and looks really nice together, that's something that we always work with. And when I started to work with this chair together with boys, he's very good with shapes, very good with forms. And uh, so it was easy for me to start this process with him. I was a photographer for many years, so I've worked very much with what is visual. How does it work right on on the visual? I think actually now we made a chair that fits very, very well into our collection. It might not be just as artistic in the sense of some of the other things we have. But on the other hand, this chair is definitely something where you have the good comfort. You have a beautiful chair. The material is nice to touch. I think we really came finally up with a chair that is different from many other chairs in the market and has all the different demands that a good chair should have. Edging to what Thomas just said, I am a little bit disappointed that the old definition of our profession have disappeared. I am form giver. This is the old name of this profession in, in Danish. It is still alive in Sweden. But <laughs> this is very important. I am not material technologist. I can just see 
potential use of material. I can see its character. I can see possibilities, the tactility of material. What can I do with it? It is raw. There are just possibilities embedded in it. The chair is a little sculpture. But of course, this sculpture has to also correspond to some primitive functional demands. But it is a sculpture. You have to love it. Otherwise, you don't need it. It's very simple. So it, everything is about love, by the way. So it has to be sexy, both material and a little sculpture. As a really beautiful, I guess it's not quite smooth, but it jumps out at you as you, as you run your hands over it, maybe with hemp in it. But you also mentioned it's breathable and that feeds back into the comfort of the actual chair. Is this something that you kind of knew would happen when you were working with or are these discoveries? I was experimenting with this material for about 10 years with these different kinds of plant fibre composites with different binders, a different way to do it. I just came to the conclusion that this is the best and most suitable. When you have a brand that wants to produce the science and you have certain materials that you can work with, we all know steel, brass, we know the marble, we know there is paper, there's wood, and there's all these different materials. All the brands within design usually work more or less with the same combination of materials all the time. We should find new ways of producing because we need to do something better for the world in the long run than we have done before. So it's so difficult to come up with new materials and everyone wants to be sustainable, but how do you do it? How do you actually, in real life, do better? This chair is actually a 100% flax material that comes from a field that is harvested. It's never been in a factory. It's not an industrialized material. And that is what Boys has been working with for so long, is to find out how can we actually use this as a new material in the industry. Boys have also worked with, with other companies that have done other kind of products uh, with this material. But to see it in the furniture business, it has been really, really interesting just to touch and look and feel a new kind of material, which this chair is all about. For us, it's, it's, a perfect, it's been a really, really good journey. My thanks to Thomas Ibsen there, and before that, Boris Berlin. We'll be right back after this. When the sun's out and the mercury rises, there's only one thing to do. Dive into a body of invigorating water. Monocle's new title, Swim in Sun, features the best spots to cool off in. Whether it's a city lido, glamorous beach club, or tranquil lake surrounded by trees, we'll have you dreaming of your next splash. The restorative, life-affirming power of being around water is undeniable. Be it through cutting laps at a hotel pool, swimming out to a floating dock, or reclining nearby with a glass of crisp rosé. So sit back, flick through, and discover Monocle's favorite places to take a dip around the world. Featuring beautiful photography, a smart linen cover, and essays penned by our favorite writers, every page is packed full of inspiration and will leave you feeling salty and sun-kissed. So grab a towel and jump in. The water is just perfect. For the discerning audiophile, the Sondek LP12 turntable from Glasgow-based manufacturer Lynn is a respected piece of kit. Its production back in 1973 was forward-looking. It has a modular design that allows the player to be updated, ensuring it keeps up with fast-moving technological innovations. This year, the model celebrates its 50th anniversary, and to mark the occasion, Lynn has produced Sondek LP1250. To do so, they teamed up with the creative collective Love From, 
and their director, Johnny Ive, a product designer who rose to fame for his work at Apple. Lynn's CEO, Gillard Tiefenbrunn, joined this show's producer, Maylee Evans, in our studios to discuss the collaboration and Lynn's approach to future-proofing their hi-fi systems. Gillard began by explaining why the original Sondek LP12 turntable was revolutionary at the time. Back in 1973, the conventional wisdom was that it was the loudspeakers that were the most important part of a hi-fi system because that's where the sound came from. But what the Sondek LP12 and my dad showed people at that time was that actually by extracting more information from the groove of the record, you could make a better sound from whatever pair of speakers were attached. It's a sort of rubbish in, rubbish out idea. But back then it was pretty revolutionary. My dad knew that he'd made the best turntable that he could, but he also recognised that technology would improve and that over time he'd be able to extract more information from a record's groove. So that led him to design his turntable in a modular, upgradable way. People today are familiar with things like upgradable software on their phones, but this was an entirely mechanical system. So you could upgrade the tone arm, the cartridge, the chassis, the sub-chassis, the power supply, and on and on and on. That's what's made the product endure for 50 years, because if you bought the product in 1973, you could still own it in 2023, albeit with dozens of parts upgraded to the extent that it might not have much in common with the original product you bought, but you've never had to throw anything away during that time. It did a couple of things. It created a really engaged, passionate community around the product, a cult following. This idea of sustainability, which is really in vogue now, but introduced in the 70s through his turntable. And it also attracted talented engineers around my dad, Lynn, who could work in parallel on improving the product because it was modular. Ultimately, it's what allowed Lynn to grow and led to the iconic status of the Sondek LP12 today. And I wanted to touch on that modular and the future-proofing design. How on earth do you future-proof a product where you don't know where technological advances will take you and what might be possible? It's absolutely a challenge and it's impossible to get that perfectly right. But through the right design principles, you can guard against obsolescence as best as you possibly can. If you look at certain things in technology that move fast, in the early days of our streaming products, we didn't incorporate a hard drive inside the product because that would build in obsolescence because hard drives were growing and still are. Every couple of years, you get twice the size for half the money or however it works out. So we make our products work with external hard drives. Same with Wi-Fi. We didn't build Wi-Fi inside our streaming products. We made them work with external Wi-Fi, just standard routers or whatever. So it's a good example of how we've insulated our core technology from, say, fast-moving tech. The other way you do it is through the mechanical design of the product by actually physically separating functions of the product internally so that if you want to improve one aspect of the product, let's say in our case we might launch a new improved power supply that is more efficient and runs quieter and therefore you get better audio from the product, then we would want that 
power supply upgrade to be available for every product that's come before. But similarly, you would want to go into that knowing that a better power supply will come in the future. It's all part of the design ethos. And so nobody in our engineering team is going to be surprised when a customer says, oh, can I get access to that latest and greatest power supply? The answer will be yes, of course. And then when you go into any kind of new product development at Lynn, the requirements are not just about the features of that product. They're also about, well, what else do we need to do to future-proof the product? It has to be built into the culture. It's the 50th anniversary this year. And to celebrate, you've released a limited edition version. So that's the Sondek LP1250, which has been designed with the creative collective Love From, whose director, I think folks might recognise, Johnny Ive, who's known for his contributions to Apple. Talk me through how that collaboration came about. How did your two minds meet? Johnny first came to Lynn, it turns out, as a new graduate a long time ago. And he was familiar with the company and familiar with the Sondek LP12 for a long time. We had a FaceTime chat, which was just Johnny letting me know that he was buying some of our latest products and he wanted to know where to buy them, who to buy them from, but he also wanted just to feedback to me on Lynn's design ethos and his admiration for the company. But very quickly, it turned into a discussion about collaboration because Love From, his design collective, is, of course, set up in order to collaborate with brands. And what Johnny said to me, for him and his partner, Martin Newsom, they would have these kind of big paid jobs, but they also wanted to have room in their lives to work with brands that they love. This happened last year, beginning of 22. And I said, well, next year is the 50th anniversary of Lynn and the 50th anniversary of the Sondek LP12. I had an email from Johnny saying, I would love to help you design a special edition of the Sondek LP12 to celebrate your 50th anniversary. The first stage is maybe not what you think. The first stage was the six months Johnny spent living with the Sondek LP12 in his house. And so by the time we had our first conversation about what the anniversary edition might look like, he had a much more informed idea just through living with the product and using the product. His overriding idea was that it would be help from Love From because he doesn't want to take credit for the Sondek LP12. He was and has always been with this project, incredibly gentle in his approach and respectful to the product. That's been the overwhelming emotion and feeling that has existed between us from the start. So he made sure he knew so much about the product that we were able from the beginning to talk at a very high level about what the goals should be, setting that design agenda from the start and the, the way we were going to work together and the kind of conversations we were going to have. That's what's allowed this project to be such a wonderful success. What were some of those shared goals and that vision when you were having those first conversations? It was absolutely clear from the start that Johnny and his team would not do anything that would hamper the sonic performance of the product because that was absolutely sacrosanct. The second would be that whatever we did together would be welcomed by the Lynn community, by the existing owners of Sondek LP12. It would be pointless to do a celebratory version that actually conflicted with any of the core design ethos of the product, either visual or in interaction terms. 
we agreed from the start to be really careful around those things. For listeners, what are the very considered additions that have been made in this special edition? I mean, we had a lovely conversation at the beginning when Johnny was feeding back on the kind of ideas that he and his team could contribute. And it was so respectful and careful. He was so worried about offending me, you know, but actually he honed in on exactly the right thing. The speed control and power switch, which is one switch that you can alternate between 33 and 45 RPM and also mute the product and also turns it on and off. And then there's a lid or a dust cover, as it's also known, that goes over the top of the product, which you close while you're playing it and obviously open when you change your record. Now, what the button and the hinges have in common is that they're plastic on the standard version. Plastic rocker switch for the power speed control and plastic hinges. He just happened to hone in on the two parts of the product that are most prone to failure. And I compare it to... Like if you have a estate agent come round and value your property and if they're any good, they give you some advice about how to maximise the value. So they might say, well, you should touch up that bit of missing paint on the wall or where those where you used to have a, a painting hanging there, you should fill that in. And when they say that, my reaction is kind of, yeah, I know, but does it really matter? It's never bothered us. And it's a bit like that at Lynn with the power switch and the hinges. Yeah, we know they're plastic. We know they can fail, but they're not contributing to the sonic performance of the product, which is where our attention is first and foremost. So having my attention drawn to those by Johnny had a kind of two-part emotional effect on me. One was, oh God, we really ought to have done something about that. And the other was, thank goodness, You've got to know this product so well that you really understand where you can bring your expertise and your team's expertise to bear on improvements that will absolutely go in a positive direction. So our vision for the Sondic LP1250 would be that it would have Love From's interaction and tactile and aesthetic improvements and Lynn would contribute sonic improvements. At Lynn, we've been working for a long time on a new plinth which houses all of the turntable mechanics. We've been investigating this new type of wood, which we're now calling bedrock. And it's a process where you take layers of beech that are placed orthogonally and then compressed under extreme pressure. So the layers collapse together and they form a totally new type of wooden material. And it has unbelievable sonic properties. It's incredibly strong. It's tougher than steel. And it has a resonance that is beyond human hearing. It's too low for humans to hear, which makes it fantastic to use as the base for our turntable. So we brought the bedrock plinth into the equation. Johnny and his team brought their improvements to the switch and to the hinges, moving them from plastic parts to precision machined aluminium parts that we make it at the Lynn factory to incredibly exacting standards, as I'm sure you can imagine with Johnny. And that comes down to materials, the radius of any curves, the hinges in terms of hiding all the internals of the hinges. If you think about a MacBook, for example, and how the trackpad works and that consistency of feedback you get wherever you press that trackpad, that had to be in our power switch. If you think about how the hinges work on a MacBook, and just how wonderful it is to open and close that product. 
Arhan just had to be at least as good as that as well. Once you take the power switch from a plastic part, which is a square part, and then turn it into a beautifully machined circular part that sits flush with the surface of the turntable with this amazing tactile feedback, you can't stop there because then other parts of the product had to change in sympathy with that. So there was actually quite a few aesthetic changes that Johnny made to make sure that the rest of the visual of the product was in sympathy with the new circular design of the power switch. One of the big surprises to me was the attention that was given to the underside of the product. Now it's a turntable, it's a record player. You don't turn your record player upside down. And in one meeting I said to Love From, why do we need to make the underside look beautiful? People don't look at the underside of their turntable. And this is classic Love From. They said, I think you'll find that with anything that Johnny gets involved with, it needs to look fantastic from every single conceivable angle. And that was early on. And that's when I got a real sense of the kind of standards that these guys work to. That was another great learning moment. I suppose for yourself and Lynn going forward from this collaboration, are you now looking at other aspects and thinking, how might this inform how we approach future designs? We've learned so much from this collaboration. It does raise a lot of questions about where we take the Sonic LP12 in future, what learnings from this collaboration we bring into the standard product. Okay, we've done something really special, wonderful, but very, very high end with the Sonic LP12. What else could we consider? Who else should we be working with? What else might we do with Love From? All these questions come up. Um, for how this project is going to impact the future of Lynn. Gilad Tiefenbrunn in conversation with Maylie Evans. And that's all for today's show. For more design stories, listen to our five-minute midweek bonus show, Monocle on Design Extra, which airs on Thursdays. And if you enjoy print, then do pick up a copy of Monocle magazine as well. It's on all good newsstands now. Today's episode was produced by Maylie Evans. She also edited the show with assistance from Callum McLean. I'm Nick Manise, and you can reach me on nm at monocle.com. Thanks for listening. Music